My name is Rachel and I've been um, involved with the Rolling Hills Belmont Heights campus and I have been on staff with Justice and Mercy International for five years. So godly friendships have been something that have been really important to me, um, especially in the past seven or eight years that I've lived in the Nashville area. Truly godly friends are those that are willing to take you with your flaws and your shortcomings as we all have and your imperfections, of which I have many, and say, look, I, I see those things, but I see also who you're becoming. I see who Christ is making you to be. And that's a journey that I want to go on with you. And I have so many friends, I can think of so many names right now um, that are willing to do that, to step up day after day. And that's something that I try to do and I've been challenged to do for my friends, um, to be in it for the long haul. I think it's our tendency to look for people who are just like us, but some of my greatest gifts um, and friendships have been people who are very different than me. I think one of the most Christ-like things that um, my closest friends do for me are, are being willing to have those tough conversations and being willing to say, hey, I know who you are and I know your character and, and to challenge me in a way that is loving and gracious, um, but that also challenges me to be more like Jesus. And those are the moments that are, are often tough. That's tough to hear. Um, but those are the moments that I'm most thankful for people who are willing to speak truth, the truth of the gospel into my life. And it's really challenged me to be more like that and to, to look at the ways that my, my friends have, have molded my own character um, and how I've become more like them in that. And as they imitate Christ, as scripture says, um, we're all becoming more like Jesus himself as we kind of teach and learn from one another. Oh, well, good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. And what a great day it is. A great time to be together to worship our God. And welcome back to our series. We're in a great series called I Am David. And in this series, we're finding our story and the story of this man who lived, you know, almost 3,000 years ago. And yet he's mentioned over 1,000 times in the Bible. And his story still resonates today because of all the things that he went through. And yet he was a man after God's heart. He held on to God through everything that he went through in his life. And we pray for us that we become men like that and women like that, that we seek the Lord all the days of our lives. Now, if you missed any in this series, let me just kind of catch you up real quick. Uh, first of all, we saw this, that David was chosen. That when he was 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, uh, Samuel, who was kind of the nation's prophet, came and anointed him and said, you're going to be the next king. You're going to be the next king. Now, now, the trouble was there was already a king. All right, there was a king named Saul who was reigning over everybody at this time. Uh, but Saul had been rejected by God. Saul had turned his heart from God. He had made it all about himself. He'd become arrogant and didn't need God anymore. And so God sent Samuel and said, hey, Samuel, anoint David to be the next king. And so David doesn't officially become the king for 10 more years, but he's anointed at this point and he knows he's chosen. And what we've said is every one of us, when we realize this and God's sovereignty and God's grace, he chose you. God chose you. He chose you to have a relationship with him. He chose you for a time such as this. You were born for this time in history. You were put in the family that you're in for a reason and for a purpose. And God chose you. And wow, when we begin to understand that, it changes the way we live. It changes the way we see ourselves, that we are chosen. We are redeemed by God's grace. And then we saw two weeks ago, we saw as David faced his first big challenge. And it was this. 
a giant named Goliath. <laughs> a guy nine feet, nine inches tall. The entire Israelite army is scared of death. They're sitting on the ridge. And Goliath comes for 40 days and taunts them. 40 days he taunts the Israelites and he taunts their God. And finally David comes to visit his brothers and says, Hey, why did somebody go down and do something about this guy? And they're like, he's a giant. David goes, yeah, but we've got a bigger God. Let's go. And David, he steps down off that ridge and starts walking toward Goliath and he picks up five stones. And by God's grace, man, he drops this giant. And we said in our lives, there's all, all of us are gonna face some giants in our life. And maybe you're facing a giant right now. And I wanna tell you, the giant that you're facing is not greater than the God that you serve. Our God is greater. Our God is bigger. Our God is stronger. You hold on to him. You trust him. And David learned that in his life. With a sling and he, one rock, he drops the giant. He cuts off his head and he holds it up. And the entire Israelite army goes after the Philistines and routs them because of one guy's obedience. And your obedience impacts so many others. Your obedience for Christ impacts generations as you hold on to God, as you live your life for him. And then last week we saw this, that Saul, who was the current king, became jealous of David. And all of us at some point, we're gonna face that, right? And maybe there was a boss, or maybe there was a parent or grandparent, or maybe it was a family member or somebody, but, but you had this pressure on you and it wasn't anything you did. And how does David hold up under that? How does David stay strong and say, God, I'm gonna trust you even when my boss, even when Saul has turned against me and now David's on the run. Saul is after him and we said, don't let jealousy take root in your heart. And maybe if you're here today, there's some jealousy that's in there for a sibling or a coworker or somebody else. Man, you confess that to the Lord because David had to deal with that. But David stayed faithful to God. He held on to God. He knew that God had a plan. He knew that God had a purpose. He knew that God was gonna accomplish his will and his life if he just held on to him. And so he did. And he stayed faithful to God. And today we're gonna see this, the power of godly friendships. David becomes best friends with Saul's son, a guy named Jonathan, and the impact that it has. And I hope and pray today that, that God will show you the, the friends that he's given you in your life. I hope it shows you the importance of church and the community in your life. And I hope that you're thankful for the people God's put around you because we all need people in our lives to encourage us to be more like God. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Uh, 1 Samuel's in the Old Testament, so kind of toward the front of the Bible. You know, you got the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch. Then you got Joshua as they enter into the promised land of the conquest. You got judges. You become the, the kind of the rulers of the land before the kings. Then you got Ruth in this great little book there. Then you got 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles. So we're right there at 1 Samuel chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, we got some Bibles in the back. Love for you to grab one and uh, just follow along with us. Also, we'll put the scripture on the screen that you can see that today. So 1 Samuel chapter 20, pick up at verse four. It says, Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. And you just hear the depth of their friendship right now. See, the first time we see Jonathan was when David killed Goliath and he comes back and, and Saul the king goes, who's this kid, right? David's probably 21, 22, 23 years old. And Saul's like, man, check this guy out. And I think Jonathan went, yeah. 
You know, I mean, they just connected because Jonathan was a warrior himself. I mean, he had gone out and he killed like 20 Philistines on his own, if you read back there. And so he saw David and he's like, yes. And some people go, well, why didn't Jonathan go out and face Goliath? Probably because Saul, his dad's like, no, 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 no. You're in line to be the next king. You're not going out there to face that giant. And so for 40 days, Jonathan's listening to Goliath taunt. He's walking back and forth. Dad, let me at him. Let me at him, you know. And, and finally, David walks in and takes him. And these guys just have this bond, this band of brothers, man. I mean, they're just in it for each other. And, and they make this commitment. David marries Jonathan's sister, Saul's daughter, Michael. You know, so these guys are brother-in-laws, and they're fighting battles together. And, and he said to David, David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. And David's trying to explain to him, hey, your dad's wanting to take me out. He's like, no way. You know, you're doing so much for the kingdom. You're like helping everybody. And he's like, no, no, listen. So David said, look, tomorrow's the new moon feast, right? That was every, you know, new moon, every once of the month, they have this celebration. And he says, and I'm supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for the whole clan. If he says very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you, covenant. Now hang on to that word because we're going to come back to that word throughout this morning. Covenant with you before the Lord. If I'm guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, will you tell me if your father answers me harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go into the field. So they went there together. Skip over to verse 16. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. These guys are bonded, man. I mean, they are just buds, right? And then Jonathan said to David, here's the plan. Tomorrow is the new moon feast. You will be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow toward evening, go to the place where you hid when the trouble began and wait by the stone of Azel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here, then come. Because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There's no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. And about that matter, you and I discussed Remember the Lord is witness between you and me forever. I mean, Jonathan, here he is, you know, putting his own life on the line, saying, David, I'm going to look out for you. Here's the plan. I, I'm going to tell you my dad's not that mad. He's going to be okay. And I'm going to go out and shoot some arrows, and, and you hide, and I'll let you know if it's safe to return. Jonathan goes to the new moon feast. He's there, and Saul waits for a little bit, and he says, hey, where, where is David. Why, why is his place empty over here? Where, where is he? And Jonathan goes, oh, no big deal, Dad. You know, he, he asked me if he could go down to Bethlehem and be with his family. And I said, sure, no problem. And Saul goes ballistic. Saul's like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Skip over to verse 30. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, 
Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. And Jonathan's like, whoa. I didn't know it had gone to this point. I didn't know, Dad, what you were planning, what you were doing. And, and Jonathan, man, he's brokenhearted. He's mad. He's angry. He gets up and he storms out. And look at verse 35. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had followed, Jonathan called out, after him, isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing about all this, only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go, carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and he bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and they wept together, but David wept the most. I mean, these guys they just loved each other. I mean, you think about these mighty warriors and, and back then, you know, when you bow down to somebody, it was this sign of respect. And David bows down to Jonathan and then he gets up in the Middle East, you kiss on both cheeks if you're family, right? The right and the left. And it's like, we're family, man. And they just wept because they don't know if they're gonna see each other again. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace for we have a sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. Man, you see this kind of friendship, you see this kind of bond and you're just like, yes, I want that. I want that for all of us to have people in our lives who say, hey, I'm gonna stand with you, I'm gonna stand for you in the good times, in the tough times, you can count on me. I don't care what anybody else says. Listen, I am for you. We all need that in our lives. We need a Jonathan, <laughs> we need a David. We need people to stand with us and stand by us. If you're taking notes today, I'd love for you to write some things down from 1 Samuel chapter 20. First is this, we all need godly friendships in our life. Guys, we all need godly friendship. Sometimes we're like men, we're like, oh, I don't need anybody. You know, I got it. You know, I can do this. You know, you're like, no, 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 no. You know, you need people. I need people in my life. When God was creating I love this. You can go back and read it in Genesis 1 and 2. And God's creating, and you can just imagine that, right? God says, let there be light. And there was light, and it was good, right? He said, let there be the expanse, you know? Let there be the heavens and the earth. Let there be you know, the oceans, and it was good. And let there be animals, and it was good. And let there be plants and vegetation, it was good. And let there be man, and it was good. And the only time God said something wasn't good was he looked and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Genesis chapter 2. It's not good for man to be alone. And guys, in our individualistic society, in our capitalistic society, many times we can pull away from everybody and try to do life on our own. And it doesn't work. It's not the way we were created. This has been called the most connected generation, and yet it's also been called the loneliest. It's been called the most connected generation. I mean, think about this. 
at any time in history, we are more connected than ever before, right? I mean, we instantaneously, we've got text messaging, we got email, we got phone calls, we, we've got social media, man, anytime. You got Facebook friends, you got Instagram, you got Twitter. We are so connected. We've got friends, we've got followers, we've got all these people, and yet every study will show this is like the loneliest generation. And you're thinking, why? Why? Because people long for deep relationships. People long for things that are real. People long for things that are authentic. Senator Mike Lee, in the end of 2017, uh, issued a study out of his office just to, to find out what was happening because they were seeing the impact of loneliness on our society and mental health and what was happening there. And, and he found four reasons, four factors contributing to the significant increase of loneliness. Even though we're all connected, Here's four factors that are contributing to the significant increase in loneliness. And factor number one that they found, church attendance is down. Isn't that interesting? Secular study. And they come back and they go, wait, in the 70s, 57% of people attended on a monthly basis church. And now it's 47%. And we start to realize how much church means, how much we need each other. The second factor they found was this. People don't know their neighbors. And back in the 70s, it was like 33% of people hung out with their neighbors socially. Today, it's like 19%. And it's so easy for us to pull into our garage, close the door behind us, or walk into our apartment and shut the door. We don't know the people around us. The third factor was this. Coworkers spend less time together. It used to, people would spend on average two and a half hours a week socializing with coworkers, right? Or, or going out after work, and, and now it's less than an hour. Because it's so easy to show up at work, right? We get our cube, we get our AirPods, and we just like go to town, and it, we kind of tune everybody else out. The fourth factor they found was this, that families are smaller. And families are smaller. It used to be multi-generational and people living close by. I, I love here those grandparents that moved to be close to family. It makes a difference, but being in relationship, being with one another. We were created for community. Guys, every one of us, we were created for community. Our God is a relational God, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity, three in one. And people get all confused about it. Like, how do I figure this out, right? The Trinity. I love how St. Patrick described it, right? It's a three-leaf clover. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. Or water and ice and steam. It's all there, but God is relational. He said, let us make man in our own image. There's this important part of community. And so often we can get busy running after the things of this world, running after money or success or our lives, and we forget about the importance of the people around us. Jesus, he called 12 disciples. Jesus did discipleship in community. You notice that it wasn't just, hey, one-on-one. It was like, no, we're gonna learn from each other. That's why we have community groups, right? Uh, if you're a parent, you know that this weekend Toy Story 4 is out, right? So I mean, you may have already seen it. I don't know, right? But it's just amazing how this movie has become such a movement in our society, and it's all based on friendship, right? You got a friend in me, you know, and it comes off with Woody and Buzz, and it's like, how does that? Because it, it resonates with every person, 
And your friendship doesn't have to be somebody who's just like you. They don't have to be the same stage of life as you. Somebody can be older than you. Somebody younger than you. Somebody can be different background than you. But the important thing is, do you have community? And people flock to see this movie because they're like, yes, I want that. I want that in my life when things get hard or difficult or there's a challenge. I need people. And we're like, yeah, that's what God's been saying the whole time. That's how God created you. God knows there's a God-shaped hole in you that can only be satisfied by him, but also his people in our lives. We were created for community, and it takes being intentional to find godly friends. I'm telling you, it takes being intentional. It's easy in this day and time to kind of pop in and out of church. It's easy to bounce around from place to place. There's a lot of good things and good places, but, but I'm telling you, when you begin to invest, that's when you find community. When you say, yeah, I'm going to get in a community group. I want to do dinner for eight. I'm going to, I want to be in these things. I want to, you know, go out with this group of guys and be in a men's group or a women's group. I, I need that. Then all of a sudden you start to find it. But it takes being intentional. It takes being intentional for your kids to be around the right people in the right places. We need each other. Uh, this week we shot a, uh, we do a men's leadership network. It's online. It's a podcast that comes out and will come out next week. And, and the guy who was sharing this week was just amazing. He was talking about, hey, my life was a wreck. It was a total wreck. And then I started coming to church. And he goes, it's amazing what community will do. And I'm like, yeah, it is. But you've got to be intentional in that. Look, be wise about the friends you choose. Be wise about the friends you choose. Proverbs says this, you walk with the wise, you become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. As a pastor, how many times do people come to me so often and, and they'll start to talk and, and, and then they'll say, hey, I got in trouble and they say, well, I had these friends. <laughs> how many times do you hear people say, well, I got in trouble and then I had these friends and you're like, yeah, you can see where that's going, right? You walk with the wise, you become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. I remember when I was in middle school, and uh, middle school is just that awkward age, isn't it? I mean, it's like, you know, you're middle school, right? Your whole body's changing. It's like, this is an awkward time. And, and, but I had these good group of friends at church and had good group of friends at school and everything. But my seventh grade year, I started hanging around this guy who was a year older, and they would come to church every now and then. They were kind of like off and on. Uh, but this guy was a cool guy, Right, I mean, he was really I mean, everybody liked this guy. He was a cool guy, and so he was a year older than me. And so I started hanging around him. But what I noticed is <laughs> my language started to change. You know, I'm playing sports, and the things I would say and the words I would choose um, started talking about things I shouldn't. Started going down a, a different path. And my parents, after about a month or two months, they kind of stepped in. They said, "Hey, hey, 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 I don't know what's going on here." But you're hanging around this guy, and we're kind of seeing this. And I'm like, oh, it's no big deal. It's fine, you know. And, and they were like, I'm just telling you. And about two months more went by. And my parents, I'll never forget this. My parents, they stepped in. They said, you can't see this kid again. And I'm like, what? He's my best friend, you know. You're ruining my life, right? I mean, like, you know, in middle school you do it. You're like, oh, I can't believe you would do that. What are you thinking? He's my friend. And they're like, no, 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 no. Listen, 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 listen. I don't care. You know, here's what we believe in. We, we're going to go to church. And you're like going, hey, I'm not going to be there that often. You're, you know, we don't use those kind of words. We don't treat people like this. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. And I was so mad. I was frustrated. I was angry at my parents. And then after a little while, I started watching. And this kid went to a different high school. 
And I was still there in middle school and I watched some of the decisions he started to make and he stopped coming to church and I started hearing stories about the things he was doing and I mean, he went down a dark path. And one day I looked at my parents, I go, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I, I appreciate you stepping in because man, I don't know where my life would have ended up. Sometimes I think parents just wanna be their kids' friends, but man, we need to be their parents. And it's important who our kids hang out with. You walk with the wise, you become wise. Companion of fools suffers harm. Every time. Every time. And I know those aren't easy conversations. And I know that's not always easy to do. But man, when we say, no, this is important for you. I want you to be around godly people. And when we look at our own lives and we say, hey, I understand that for me. Because you will become like the company you keep. Study after study after study says you will become like the top five people that you spend the most time with. It's going to happen. And so you have to look at your life, right? Am I becoming more like God? Am I hanging around people who are making me better? Proverbs says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Are you hanging around people that are making you better? Jonathan and David, they connected on a spiritual level. You know, when David's out there, he comes back from fighting Goliath, and he's like, man, look at what God did. Look at what God did. And Jonathan's going, yeah, that's right. That had to be the Lord. Man, these guys are just, I mean, they're, they're big, they're strong, they look like guys out of 300, I'm sure, you know I mean? Like, they're just jacked. But, but man, they knew on a spiritual level it was the Lord who was the ultimate. It was the Lord who was gonna give the victory. And they connected there. Do you have people in your life who connect with you on that spiritual level? Do you have people who are praying with you, praying for you? We all need that. Are the friends you have leading you closer to God or are they pushing you away from him? Are the friends you have leading you closer to God or are they pushing you further away? It's something we all have to ask in our lives. And we have to ask our kids, are the people you hanging out with, are they helping you become more like God? Or are they leading you further away? Because they will have a significant impact on you. To have great friendships, you must be a great friend. <laughs> to have great friendships. You must be a great friend. Sometimes people come along like, well, you know, I mean, these people, they just don't do anything for me. And you're like, well, what about you? All right, what about me? Now, we've all known what it's like to have a fair weather friend. We've all known that in our life, right? We've all known people who said they're going to be there for us, and then they weren't, and we we're like, oh, man, thanks a lot. But for us, are we that kind of friend? Are we the kind of friend that's going to show up when times get hard or difficult? Friendships mean putting your friend before yourself. I, I can't imagine how this conversation went down, but at some point, David had to come to Jonathan and go, hey, Jonathan, um, we gotta talk. Uh, Jonathan, I don't, I don't know how this whole thing's gonna happen, but I gotta tell you, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, um, Samuel showed up. He came to my house, and he had anointing oil, and he anointed me as the next king. And Jonathan, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't do anything, I gotta tell you. you know, and I know your dad is king right now. I know you're in line to be the next king. But, but listen, man, I just gotta tell you what happened. And I don't know how it's gonna play out. And, and I care about you. And I wanna be honest with you. And I can't imagine what Jonathan's reaction was. I can't imagine how he wrestled with that. You know? But at some point, Jonathan comes back and goes, you know what, David? 
If you become king, I want to be number two. And David's like, if you become king, I want to be number two. Because the throne is not more important than you. I care about you. You know, a lot of times we'll run after money, we'll run after success, we'll run after those things, and we kind of forget about the people around us. But it's the people around us who are going to be there for us. It's the people around us that God said love. Love God, love others. How are we doing with that? A true friend, a true friend thinks about what he or she can give and not what he or she can get. And in your friendships, are you saying, hey, God, I've got enough security in you. I'm not dependent on anybody else for my security, it's you. And so I can give, I can serve, I can love, I can reach out, I can be the person you've called me to be. I don't have to worry about, hey, somebody's getting ahead of me. Hey, somebody's stepping up ahead of me. No, 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 I can love. Jesus demonstrates this, you know, when he gets down on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. He says, I've set an example for you. This is what you do. And and you talk about a band of brothers. You talk about a bond there when we serve the people around us. Changes everything. So make a commitment to your friends. When you have godly friends, you hold on to them. You make a commitment to church. You make a commitment to say, I'm going to be around people and I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to help them be their best. Hey, how often do you pray with and for your friends? How often do you pray with and for your friends? Yeah, I believe prayer, <laughs> this is the secret sauce, right? When you start praying in your marriage, and maybe you don't, and, and, and I gotta tell you, I know it's probably awkward when you first start and as a husband or wife and you say, hey, I want us to pray together, and you're like, uh, you don't know what to pray, it's okay. Just pray for your kids, you pray for your job, pray for the people around you, or you say to your roommates, hey guys, can we pray together? And, and you just start, but when you start to pray together, something happens, there's a depth that comes. There's an authenticity that comes. There's, there's a realness that comes in that relationship. And, and what's amazing is when your spouse becomes your best friend, <laughs> just love them like that. And when you start praying with your kids, and you, you just set a discipline, you set a habit of prayer that happens in your family. And then as your kids grow up and you start to transition from, from just being their parent to being their friend. But you have these friends in your life and you start to pray with them and you encourage them. And you have a community group. And when your community group starts praying together, I gotta tell you, there's a bond that develops there. And you encourage one another, you strengthen one another. How often do you pray with and for? You pray, God, give me godly friends. God, put the right people around me. God, give me the eyes to see. Are the people around me making me better? Are they making me bitter? You know, God, are they leading me down the wrong path? God, give me wisdom. And you pray that way. Deep friendships are built over time and sacrifice. Deep friendships are built over time and sacrifice. And David and Jonathan, man, they fought battles together. They prayed together. They raised families together. They were there for one another. They cared about one another. I was blessed in college to have a group of friends. And we met our freshman year. just a a great group of guys. And and we stayed friends all these years. (laughs) I mean, we were in college. We would do Bible studies together, pray together, do sports, you know, all the intramurals and everything. And and then we just all stayed friends. So once a year, we get together with this group of guys. And we've been in each other's weddings. Um, we've been there when babies were born. <laughs> now we're having a uh, 
you know, their kids are getting married. Some of their kids are older and they're getting married and we've been there where parents have passed away. And, and I remember a couple years ago, we were on a, a trip, just we do a weekend and we're there and we're talking about real life and here we are, this group of guys and, and we're sitting around and one of the guys has been successful, done really well, a bunch of these guys have and, um, and he's looked up and he just said, hey, I want you guys to know this. If anything ever happens to any of you guys, just know your kids are taken care of. I'm going to make sure that their kids are taken care of. I tell you, I don't know what happened right there, but man, it just went to a whole different level. You know, it's like your kids are taken care of. And you know, when I thought about this this morning and I just thought about church and community, guys, we've been on this journey for 16 years and I just look around at so many of you. And I want to tell you, there's that depth of love here. And that love that we just say, hey, we're in this thing together. I'm going to walk with you through good times, through struggles. And we're going to celebrate baptisms together. We're going to celebrate baptisms with kids together. We're going to celebrate marriages together. We're going to walk through great celebrations, but we're going to be there if times get hard. We're going to take care of one another. That's the body of Christ. And that's what God calls us to. That's who God calls us to be. But it takes all of us being intentional. And it's real easy to kind of sit on the outskirts and say, okay, I'll show up every now and then. But man, when you get involved, something happens in you. There's a depth that grows in you. And you know what? I, I don't want to be spoiler alert, but I got to tell you, if you don't want to hear this, this kind of skip to next week. But, but listen, Jonathan and Saul, his dad, ultimately die in battle. David comes to the throne and David, one of the first things he does is this. He says, are there any relatives for Saul or Jonathan out there? And they say, yeah. Remember Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth? And David's like, yeah, yeah. What happened to him? When he was five years old, he was dropped by a nurse and he was crippled. And David says, go find him and bring him here. And everybody thought, oh, that's it. Because kings, when they come to the throne, they always just wipe out anybody who has the heir to the throne. And they're thinking, oh, David's going to take this guy out. Right here he is, this Mephibosheth, this kid who's crippled. And they bring him in. And David goes, hey, listen, Mephibosheth, you don't have to be afraid. In fact, I'm giving you everything back that was belonging to your grandfather and to your dad because I made a covenant with your dad that I was going to take care of you. And for the rest of your life, you're eating at my table. For the rest of your life, you're going to be here. And I'm going to take care of you. Wow. David wasn't worried like, oh no, he may be the king, you know. Somebody might try to come in and take my throne. No, 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 no. David said, I'm making a commitment because I love God and I'm going to love the people around me. I'm going to love them well. I'm not insecure enough to think that, hey, somebody else is going to come in. My security is in the Lord. And that leads to this last one. Guys, don't miss this. Jesus is your best friend. Man, when you look at your life and you think about your friends, hey, don't forget to put Jesus on that list. Because here's what he says in John 15. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You have a friend in God. Jesus, the son of God says, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to be there for you always. And Jesus, to you, he makes this commitment. He desires a compassionate, committed, covenant relationship with you. Jesus is compassionate. He takes off the robe of righteousness, and he puts it on you. And when you 
in all your sins and your failures, you see yourself that way. God looks at you and he sees righteousness because of what Christ has done for you. Jesus says, never will I leave you or forsake you. No matter what happens in this world, no matter if people turn their back on you, no matter if people walk away, I'm gonna be there. You can count on it. And I'm making a covenant relationship with you for generations. You know, this covenant relationship, it's such a beautiful picture. You enter into a covenant relationship when you get married. You enter a covenant relationship when you join the church. Hey, I'm in this. But when you become a follower of Jesus, there's this covenant relationship. And God, I'm gonna serve you all the days of my life. I'm your servant. And God says, I'm with you every step of the way. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You are mine. Jesus said this in John 15. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Think about that. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Then he jumps on the grenade. He gives his life. And Jesus gave his life for you. He gave his life for you. When we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, God made us alive in Christ because he stepped in and took our place. It should have been us on that cross. It should have been us. But Jesus died for us. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to come to his table, to share communion, the Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world that we lock arms with, it. they share communion today. There's people around in all different countries. And this is the body of Christ saying, God, you're first and you're enough. Because Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take and eat this in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this morning, I want to invite some of our A6 leaders and their wives to move to the tables. And I'm going to invite you in just a moment. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to come to one of the tables. There's two tables here. There's two tables on the side. There's two tables in the back. The table closest to you may be the one in the back. Take a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for you. Dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you, and receive what only God can give. His love, his grace, his security. And say, God, I'm yours. God, I'm yours. And thank God for the body of Christ. Thank God that you're not alone. That there's people who will pray with you, pray for you, who will walk with you, who will encourage you, who will help us be all that God has called and created us to be. That we serve together, we love together, we give together. It's the body of Christ, you guys. So let me pray for us right now. Father, thank you for your presence. God, thank you for the example of David and Jonathan and just that rich, deep friendship. And I pray that for every one of us, God. I pray that, Father, we would invest our lives in knowing you and serving you. And I pray that the bond of Christ would mold us and shape us together as your people. I pray that we would love one another. And the world would say, wow, look at that church and just the way that they love God and the way they love each other. They're there for each other. In good times and hard times, they take care of one another's kids. They, they pray and they live it out. God, help that to be our story. 
our testimony. So Father, this morning we come to your table as a symbol of this covenant relationship that we are yours and the price that you paid for us. And it's in the beautiful, holy, precious name of Jesus that we pray and we come to your table. Amen. Amen. You're invited to come to share communion today.